0: I'm A.J. Bianco, host of Reflect Ed, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here, and today I'm talking with Sam Steyer, the founding director of the Center for Learning with Nature and the author of Engineering Education for the Next Generation, A Nature-Inspired Approach. What an awesome book. You're going to learn so much. You're going to love this discussion. Thanks for listening. And uh, oh, before you go, by the way, could you do me a favor? While you got that app open where you're listening to this podcast, could you go in and rate and review me? Huh? That would be so cool. Thanks so much. Enjoy the show. Hey, not so long ago, my uh my wedding band broke. That's right. And it was unrepairable. Well, that was crazy. And, you know, and BoonRings.com came to my rescue. That's Boon Titanium Rings, you can find them at BoonRings.com. And uh, by the way, they're now a, an affiliate partner of ours, but I also use them. My wedding band is now one of their rings, and it's really cool, it's laser engraved and has these, these neat stars on it and pistons. But they came to my rescue, and I gotta tell you what's really cool, and it's in the name itself, they make titanium rings this is not going to break, right? <laughs> no way. So not only can you have them personalized, but you can have them engraved. You can have them carved. You can have, uh, you can have them, uh, you know, designs with, uh, um, wood, meteorite, stone, precious metals, acrylic, and uh, other inlays. You can also have uh, uh, these neat rings that, uh, I mean, just wait till you see the the black zirconium and stealth series rings. I mean, those are just way too cool. And, and you know, and they also make some really cool tool earrings, pendants, and cufflinks. Yeah, boon Rings is pretty cool. That's right. You ought to go to boonrings.com and they're an affiliate partner of ours, which means that if you go to checkout and you use my code, Teaching, learning, leading K 12. So, you want to use all caps T L L K and the number 12. So, once again, you use my code, which is all caps T L L K and the number 12 at checkout. You'll get a 10% discount. That's right. And uh, you'll help out the podcast because we'll get a commission. So, go to boonrings.com. You'll be glad you did. <laughs> Sam Steyer is the founding director of the Center for Learning with Nature, a nonprofit organization providing STEM curriculum teacher training founded on the captivating power and modern importance of the natural world. You can find more information at www.learningwithnature.org. A National Science Foundation Fellow in STEM curricular design, Sam was appointed to the NGSS Next Generation Science Standards Review Team by the state of Montana's Department of Education in 2012. An ecologist by training, Sam has been an environmental consultant for the Nature Conservancy, WWF, Monterey Bay Aquarium, World Bank, and others, and founded and directed the youth and public education programs at the Biomimicry Institute, started by author Janine Binyas in addition to directing the center for learning with nature sam also teaches bio-inspired design at the college of engineering at texas Tech university and at otis college of art and design today we are going to talk about his book engineering education for the next generation a nature-inspired approach sam welcome to the program thanks for talking with me today say hi to everyone hey everybody hi nice to be here well i'm glad you're with us and uh sam let's let's start by talking about some things from your bio you have some cool stuff in your bio all right and, and First of all, I and I didn't include this, but I got to tell you it's you know, you actually I'm talking to someone who's lived and worked in Montana, which is really cool to me too. I it's <laughs> a really wild part of the world, so I love that. So uh um you're an ecologist by training. When when you started down this path, what were your plans?
1: Well, I mean, I grew up um kind of on the edge of town in uh in the Midwest. Uh I spent my summers, you know, catching frogs and all that good stuff. And uh, I knew I liked the natural world, but I wasn't really sure that I was that keen on the big cities and all the the problems with technology and all that. So, um, you know, as I moved through school, I just gravitated towards studying, you know, natural resources and that kind of thing. And I I ended up um, actually working as a field biologist in the Philippines for many years studying these uh, just amazing creatures, these they're they're bats. They're mega bats. They're sometimes called flying foxes. And the ones I studied were really big. Their uh, wingspans were like six feet wide, if you can imagine that. Wow. And uh, yeah. And um, anyway, I just have always thought nature was really really cool and interesting.
0: That's cool. That's uh that's neat. And I I, I got to tell you, you know, it's funny. I went to school for a while in New Mexico. Here, where I am, in, in George Georgia, that we also have them. These. Little bats, you know these little little yeah. guys that uh, get get annoying because they'll come inside your house once in a while, and everybody's going, "Oh my gosh, there's a bat in the house!" You know, I can't imagine if you had a six foot giant <laughs> this wingspan thing coming to your house. Yeah, holy yeah, crap You just carry just give the up, dog give away. your house
1: to them and just move out if they move in. Yeah, yeah. Nice. No, these guys are cool because they um, they uh, they only eat fruits and vegetable or fruits and leaves and that kind of thing, and they are critical for maintaining. The tropical forest so they're spreading seeds and pollinating flowers and they really do they're called flying foxes because they look like uh, little dogs with wings they're very cute um, and that was a lot of fun studying them I mean I collected their their bat poop for four years just trying to figure out what they what they ate so uh, you know I had to
0: like them nice now, now there's a there's a, a conversation starter uh, I collect bat poop <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> cool stuff. So that's awesome, man. The, the, uh, uh, so something else in your bio, and I know there's all kinds of cool stuff in there, but I had to ask about this. What'd you do at the Monterey Bay Aquarium?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, this will kind of relate to things. I think we're going to talk about a little bit in the future, but um, you know, I helped them with a program they were developing. They got really into this whole thing that uh, I do, which is um, nature inspired innovation and they, they wanted to bring that into their program. So I worked with them just trying to figure out you know, what would work with their audiences. And they ended up creating this just awesome program called uh, Whales to Windmills. And it was really uh, this guy, Mike Chamberlain, did a fabulous job putting together this program that first was with uh, live audiences where they would talk about all sorts of connections between nature and technology. And then um, you can actually see it uh online his presentation so i'll send you a link when we're all done here so you can maybe share with your audience
0: that'd be awesome I'd be happy to that'd be cool please do the uh, uh so before we get into your and i just think it's it's cool because especially because with your background i figured it was something kind of neat like that uh with what you're doing but just as a side note working in an aquarium anything cool Right. Right. I know, I know, I know, I
1: know. I love uh, the Monterey Bay Aquarium. I jumped at that chance. Yeah, that was good. I, I can imagine. Yeah, uh, so,
0: before we get into your book, Engineering Education for the Next Generation, a Nature Inspired Approach, can you explain what you mean by a nature inspired approach?
1: Yeah. So, a nature inspired approach refers to a professional method that engineers and designers do in their work. And it's called uh, Often it's called bio-inspired innovation or sometimes biomimicry. And what it is, is just technical, technological innovation that's inspired by the living world around us. So it's, uh, it's not a new idea, actually. It's got, uh, it's got a long track record of success. So for instance, um, you know, the phone invented by Alexander Graham Bell. What a lot of people don't realize is that he came up with the idea for the phone because he was really interested in how the human ear worked. So he studied the human ear. He actually, he literally got a a real human ear from a friend of his, who was a doctor uh, from a cadaver. And he would study how the, the, you know, he would speak into the tympanic membrane. It would move the the middle ear bones. And and he just thought it was the coolest mechanism ever. And at the same time, he's trying to figure out this idea of Converting the human voice into an electrical current. And then it just hit him that he actually uh, could create a, a kind of diaphragm, which was like the tympanic membrane, and attach a magnet to that. And when people would speak, it would move that electro, or the magnet through a copper coil, and that would produce an electric current. And that is the architecture of the microphone that's in all of our cell phones. And then the reverse of that is is the same, it's what we use for speakers. So, you know, him studying the human ear was what enabled us to actually have cell phones in our pockets that work. We have basically like a a model of the human ear in our phones. And that's an example of of innovation inspired by nature. And there's, you know, the, the airplane, you can go on and on all of these major inventions that kind of define our modern world are very often inspired by something in nature. And today it, it's, it's just exploding that the kinds of things that engineers and designers are learning from the natural world, it's just, it just keeps going and it's getting better and better.
0: Very cool. Very cool. This is just, it's just so cool because you don't really think about it how much, you know, probably, you know, the engineer or whoever it is, the designer looking and thinking, huh, well check
1: that out. I think I could do something with this, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's exactly it. And, and nature's, the rest of nature is different than, than us i mean it's had all this time to to be really creative in doing the things that it does and so when engineers and designers look at nature they very often come up with ideas that they probably just wouldn't have thought of on their own so it's a it's a terrific partnership it really kind of spurs human creativity and 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 you know invention
0: that's cool it's and it's and you can see it, you can see it. And I got to tell you, your book brings that to life. That's for sure. That a concept. So good stuff. I, you know, and Sam, I have to tell you, the book is it's beautiful. It has a great feel, it has amazing color, and it just has some really awesome pictures and drawings. And, you know, n- not only that, just your writing style is just amazing. It sucks you into it and it makes you want to read. And I'm not used to saying this about, you know, books like <laughs> books that normally have something like, you know, talking to us about uh, how we're going to be doing engineering or, you know, I'm a history person, you know, this, you know, whatever we would do there, the history of engineering, boy, there that sounds like a, <laughs> that sounds like a snoozer, right? And, <laughs> and instead that's, that's not nowhere near whatsoever. Are we on that planet? And I, and so, and, and just to give the audience, I, I want to read something from one of the reviewers of, uh, of Sam's book. He says, and I just took an excerpt of it. Uh, Sam Steyer offers an altogether new hands-on approach to teaching engineering that draws upon the excitement of living things that are all around us in the world. He transforms the subject into what it really is, not just fascinating, but truly exhilarating. And so I got to ask you, Sam, what inspired you to write engineering education for the next generation?
1: Well, I got really lucky. You know, I was was steeped in this world of biology as a biologist, and I was kind of avoiding the human-built world and all of that stuff, and then I heard a talk by uh, a woman named Janine Benyus, who you mentioned, and um, it completely turned my understanding of biology upside down, because what she did is she uh, drew together these stories of various engineers and designers who were doing this, who were looking to nature for ideas. And I had never realized that um, biology had anything to do with technology. And so um, that kind of started me on this journey. And I ended up working with Janine for about six years at a nonprofit that she started, which continues today and does great work called the Biomimicry Institute. And and then starting the Center for Learning with Nature to really focus on how this could enrich K-12 education.
0: Well, that's excellent. That's, you know, and, it, and it's just cool. Cause it, you know, the more I read in the book and, and I got to tell you, we only had so much time and it's just like, uh, there's some questions that I had to leave to the side <laughs> that, uh, didn't make the, didn't make the cut for one or two reasons, but I may slide one or two of them in there. Cause it's just, you know, it's, it's like one of the the cool things has to do with fire, which I thought was neat. Just the way it, you bring in the, the thought that uh, we've been making stuff by fire since a long ways back, you know? <laughs> yeah. But that's, so the, before I start giving away the book, let me, let me get in here and, uh, and talk about this. I mean, you know, one of the things that, uh, one of the things that I wanna make sure is that uh, um, when somebody's reading your book, all they gotta know is that this is gonna be a different book based upon the introduction. And I love the title of it, How to Make Surfers Invisible all right you know normally introductions say things like now we're going to explain the font (laughs) to you all right and you know things like this and instead how to make surfers invisible which made me go okay i'm not skipping this i got to read the introduction (laughs) man and uh this is such a cool area what an awesome way to make me and anyone want to read more talk about this introduction and your style with with writing the book
1: well um yeah, this is research that came out of some uh, professors at Georgia Tech and uh, they were working on this challenge. And the challenge is that unfortunately, sometimes sharks, you know, they will uh, bite surfers. And, um, and at the same time, there's all these organisms in the ocean that can do this neat trick where they uh, can direct, they actually can create and uh, direct light beneath them. So what that does is if you can imagine a predator swimming below looking up for a tasty meal and these critters have brightened up their undersides so that it matches the sky above. So it's actually a form of camouflage that potential prey use to avoid these predators. And they do it through all sorts of interesting, crazy things. Like they have partnerships with bacteria that actually produce the light and so on. And then they have these cool structures, which kind of match the light to the surrounding sky and so on. But the thing is you have all of that going on and then you return to this question, you know, what do you do about sharks harassing surfers? And this idea of a surfboard that maybe directs light underneath it so that it doesn't cast a, a shadow or a silhouette, uh, and kind of camouflages the surfer so sharks don't even see them. And that—that's—that's that's innovation inspired by nature. That's cool.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's very <laughs> yeah. cool. Especially, I love yeah. the the different descriptions of the different stuff. I mean, just trying to figure out how to use it to keep them away from the the shark without you know the surfer having to carry like a grenade launcher or something. <laughs> <like that.
1: laughs> yeah, right. No, there's there's like there's all these elegant solutions in nature that that you know we would just never think of. Like, who would ever think of, of lighting up the bottom of a surfboard so that it basically disappeared? I would never think of that in a million years, but you know, nature's thought of it, and so that's the whole idea.
0: That's so cool. They, uh, you know, and, and I think this just says it speaks a lot to what's going to happen in the rest of the book because you bring up these unique situations and you talk about them in a in a neat sort of. Uh, fascinating way that uh, makes like I said makes me as a reader go this is cool I got to keep reading you know and uh, see where you're going and I love that Uh, you know between between chapters one and two you get into sharing you know how their approach fits with standards and how to introduce it to students and I think that was that's neat because I think right away you kind of take on anybody who might be thinking yeah yeah but this isn't going to work for my state or my kids and uh, because we got to follow these things called standards well you address that right off the bat you want to talk about that?
1: Yeah, sure. Actually, I mean, like when the NGSS came out in 2013, that was just a huge opportunity for bringing this kind of excitement into schools because for the first time, the NGSS brought engineering into school standards. Um, And so this works great with the NGSS from that perspective, because there's these, you know, kind of themes that run throughout the NGSS uh, for engineering, like you design things, you test them, and then you, you optimize them. So, um, you know, the whole idea is you can engage kids by including nature's ideas in that engineering design process. So, so for example, let's say uh, the kids are going to make gliders and they're going to they're make little gliders and they're going to test them with a, you know, with a room fan and a tape measure. So they're going to drop their glider in front of the room fan and see how far it goes. So you have them do that and then you explore the natural world and how it glides. There's all sorts of things in nature that glide, right? There's dandelion seeds and there's helicopter seeds and there's, you know, flying snakes and all sorts of really cool stuff. And you can explore that with the kids and then, you know, try to figure out what makes those things in nature good at gliding and then what ideas can we borrow from those things in nature to redesign and reimagine our gliders? So that's what the kids can do. They redesign their gliders, they retest them. And it, it's just a fantastic experience, not only from this engineering perspective, but also from this perspective of learning from nature, how to design things better.
0: Very cool. Very cool. It's, and, 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 I like it. Cause it's a great way to, to start and get into, in, into this as a, uh, We're going to start this journey um, and uh, seeing how it fits. And, you know, one of the things that I wanted to talk about, because this kind of leads into it, is that you have this really cool formatting of the book. At the conclusion of each chapter, you have a segment called Additional Resources, which, wow. (laughs) Okay, the the amount, what I'm saying is that it's the, the, The amount of resources and usefulness and uniqueness of them, it's not like it's just a reference to a page in a book or something like this. You know, anyone saying I would need a lot of help to do this has it throughout your book. And in each chapter, you also have cool activities to assist as well. Like one of my favorites is on page 70, Analyzing Stress with a Photoelastic Effect. And another favorite on page 167, Making a Die, sensitized, boy, try that three times fast, Solar, you know, sensitized solar cell. Um, talk about why these were included, as well as the thought that went into helping the reader, you know, be able to pursue the nature-inspired approach. I, I, I love this.
1: Yeah, it's, it's um, you know, it all kind of started with when when we started to figure out, all right, we want to bring this into K-12, it's really cool stuff that's going on in the real world with engineers and designers, kids will love it, Um, you know, how do we do this, and where do we start, and we decided that a great place to start was with materials and and structural engineering, because we, you know, on a daily basis, we kind of relate to the world uh, in terms of actual materials, like I'm sitting in a chair right now, and there's a desk in front of me, and I can touch it, I can see it, I can feel it, so we wanted to start with with that kind of level of things. And um, with, with materials, one of the things that material scientists and structural engineers think about is how uh, stresses on those materials behave and w- what's going to happen to those materials, right? You don't want your chair to suddenly fall apart and so it has to be designed to be strong enough and so on. And so in this lesson, um, you learn about these kinds of forces and um, then, you know, it's kind of, theoretical and abstract. And we really wanted to, to make this uh, visible to the kids. And I just so happened to uh, be reading and stumbled upon this thing called the photoelastic effect. And it's so simple. You can't believe it. I mean, you can literally try this out at home. In fact, I did for many, many weeks and made my family think I was crazy, but (laughs) all you do is you get some clear, uh, Peak plastic. It's that number one recycling plastic. So it's like the that plastic you have with uh, that, you know, contains strawberries at the grocery store. You get that kind of plastic. And then you need uh, a pair of polarized sunglasses. Most sunglasses are polarized. And then you take this little piece of plastic and you put on your, your sunglasses and you hold it up in front of your computer or your cell phone screen with you know maybe a Word doc open so it's nice and bright. And what you're gonna see is a whole bunch of colors just gonna pop out that you can't see with the naked eye, but as soon as you have these sunglasses on and you're holding it up in front of a computer screen or something like that, you can see them. And what these colors are, are they are the, the physical stresses in that material um, passing through that material in real time. So if I, if I squeeze or twist that plastic those colors are gonna change. And that's because I'm kind of changing the thickness of the plastic. And so that changes where the colors are and what colors even show up. And engineers use this to kind of analyze the physical stresses passing through materials. And the, the materials are so simple that we realize, hey, we could use this in a classroom. And it's just really fun. So the kids actually see this stuff. It's, it's not theoretical. It's right there in their hands. It's beautiful because there's all these colors. And then you can start experimenting with stuff like create different shapes and put different kinds of pressures on this. And what we, you know, in the, in the lessons we developed, what we get to is this work by an engineer named Klaus Matic. Klaus Matic, a German engineer, loved trees. And what he noticed about trees is that the base of a tree often has this curvature to it. And it's not the kind of curve that engineers typically use to deal with physical stress in a material. So engineers usually use a nice curve, like a circle, like a circular curve. Trees don't do that, they have a different curve. And Klaus wondered why? I mean, since all the you know, smart minds and engineers are using this circular curve, why are trees using a different curve? And what he discovered is that the, that curve, the tree curve, uh, actually, can reduce the stress uh, on the tree by over something like 50% uh, as a curved, as a circular curve can. So it's much, much better at distributing stress, so it just flows through the tree and doesn't end up breaking the tree. And that's just, you know, very cool. Yeah. But you know, to actually then create an activity where the kids can model that curve, they can cut out that plastic in a tree curve shape. And then put some stress on it and they can see how that stress and strain passes through the material and how it's different than uh, other ways that you can do it. And they can see how effective it is themselves. So that's, that's the whole idea behind this thing. It's, I love trees too. Everybody kind of loves trees and just to, you know, it's one really cool things that cool thing that trees do that we just don't really know about typically. And, you know, we can actually bring it right into the classroom.
0: I love it. That's and that's a great example of you know of the nature approach. I I just I like this and it's and as well as the experiment, which is there's it's not a whole it's not an expensive experiment. No, <laughs> you know right. and it's and it's doesn't require a whole lot of stuff or knowledge to be able to make it happen. So you, you just have to understand what you're seeing to be able to explain it to the kids and what they're seeing. So right. And I love that. And I and I love that's because that's most of them are are very simple, you know, like that, but fascinating. Um, activities so cool stuff. Uh, you know one of the things, uh, um, Sam, that I got to get to is that you have these great titles, and uh, just like you were talking about uh, um, the trees, there they they play a role in this. You know, we have um, chapter three is shape and strength, learning structural engineering from schoolyard trees, and and chapter four enlightened by bones, which I love. By the way, it shows a skateboard. <laughs> The skateboard and the bones, all that, it's a cool thing. Um, Chapter six, teaching sustainability through engineering. And chapter seven, taken by swarm, nature-inspired computer science, to name a few. Uh, Let's take a look inside Enlightened by Bones. Page 90, there's a segment called Material Efficiency. Could you talk about this in terms of learning from bones?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, bones are, you know, we kind of think of them as dead because, you know, the only time we ever see a picture of bones or anything like that is like a skeleton. But in fact, bones are alive, just like your heart is alive and so on. And um, your bones are really neat because they're constantly listening to the environment and changing based on what you're doing. So if you look at an x-ray of of, uh, the arms of a tennis player, for example, the the dominant arm of that tennis player is that their bones are going to be thicker. In that arm and that's because over their lifetime as they played that game of tennis um, their muscles and so on have basically told their bones hey I need this arm to be stronger because it's going to be bashing this this ball over the net and and so you actually can hear this process happening in real time yourself so uh, you're gonna have to take off your headphones to try this out perhaps but all you do is you take your your hands Uh, with your palms out and you press your palms against your ears as hard as you can. really press in there like like so. And if you press really hard, like you're almost trying to squash your own head, you'll start to hear something. (laughs) Cool. Do you hear that? You press really hard, like you're going to squash your head. You should hear kind of a low rumble. Yeah, I do. What, you know, yeah. okay. Yeah. So got... that low rumble, that's actually your your muscles basically telling your bones, hey, I need you to beef up here because we're going to be doing this uh, physical activity. And, you know, if you did that for a long period of time, you'd actually see an impact on your bones. But it happens on a daily basis. Like if you take a walk, you change the the structure of your bones just a little bit. And this happens all the time throughout our lives. And... One of the really neat things about bones is that they not only add material where they need to be stronger, but they also remove material where they don't need to have that material, where there's not much uh, stress on those parts of their bones. So they're they're constantly optimizing their shape and structure to do the things they need to do and, and not do the things they don't need to do. So their the engineers will say that, that uh, you know, a bone has really good strength to weight ratio, meaning it's really strong and it's no heavier than it needs to be to get the job done. So uh, this idea from bones has now begun to inform the way that uh, humans design things because, you know, we don't want to use more materials than we need to to do the things we need to do because it costs money and it has an impact on the environment and so on. So for instance, uh, airplane designers, they love this uh, because they need to make their airplanes as light as possible, but still be safe. So they have basically taken this idea from Bones and they use it to design all the things that they they need to do. Um, car manufacturers use it. Adidas actually uses it for their shoes. Uh, the Department of Defense uses it. Of course, all the airplane companies use this kind of uh, this kind of approach to design. And uh, it saves, I think the estimate is something around uh, a billion pounds of material every year that doesn't have to be used because of uh, designing things inspired by the way bones do what they do.
0: That's amazing. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's very amazing. That's, you know, it's cool stuff. I, you know, this, this, that, that chapter alone, I could have spent the whole uh, <laughs> the whole talk on. So
1: yeah, and I should just mention too that um, you can use the photoelastic effect to actually see, uh, you know, analyze a material like a ruler or a protractor or a CD case, anything that uh, is a clear plastic like that, and you can see where the object is not actually stressed, where it doesn't, the material is basically unnecessary. And then what you do is you have the kids redesign that, uh, physical object with that material removed and they can calculate how much material they actually saved by using this bone inspired approach to optimizing their designs.
0: Very cool. Which would be the explanation behind the, the, uh, looking like it's straight out of a comic book, uh, skateboard. Um,
1: yeah, right. Yeah. It's a, it's, a, yeah, it's just an awesome design that that guy made. Yeah.
0: It really is. That's cool. Very neat. Um, Awesome stuff. I, you know, it, it, in uh, Chapter 6, Teaching Sustainability Through Engineering, uh, page 182, re- th- this is noted. One of the fundamental reasons nature's products are sustainable is because they biodegrade and then recycle an essentially infinite number of times. This is a critical feature for things made on a finite planet. Could you explain what we can learn from this process?
1: Yeah. So one of the neat things that I learned when just studying biology is that uh, nature doesn't make any material which it doesn't also make an enzyme that breaks that material down. And I, I I just thought that was the neatest thing and it's true. So anything in nature, we, you know, we kind of know it's, well, it biodegrades And, and that's the reason because it's also making something, an organism that has an enzyme that can break that material down. And one of the results of that is that everything that nature makes, is used for many other things. Uh, there's, no, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, there's no waste, there's no landfill in the natural world. And so um, a lot of engineers and designers are doing incredible stuff with this knowledge. So for example, um, there's this researcher, John Rogers, and he makes electronics that can dissolve in water. Hmm. You know, these are electronics that could run a computer or a cell phone. And then when you don't want them, they literally can dissolve into, you know, benign components that can be used again. Um, so the things you would never think uh, would be possible when you actually look at what nature can do and then try to do it with human technologies, often you can be surprisingly successful. Or, or another example uh, is like, you know, I, I've been, I order stuff from Amazon and that kind of thing. And you look at that packaging. <laughs> Um, you know, we, we really need that styrofoam for five to seven business days, right. To ship the thing. So it doesn't, you know, it's protected, but it lasts for 10,000 years or more, which is crazy. We need it for five to seven days. It lasts for ten thousand years. It's just crazy. It's not really a smart way to design something. So there's these uh, guys, they started in college and they, they came up with this idea of growing, um, mycelium, a a fungi, part of a fungi, over agricultural waste like you know grass and things like that and they can grow it in any shape then they heat it they heat it slightly to make sure it's not biologically active and it can substitute for styrofoam Hmm. Uh, they can you know it's impact resistant it insulates and so on but it's completely biodegradable you get this you get you know dell uses it now to ship their computers so you you get this stuff you get your computer then you take the packaging and you throw that in your in your garden and it actually improves your plant growth. And, and so that's that's a great example of actually learning from nature and borrowing ideas from nature. Um, there's a I could go on forever about this. I have a board <laughs> member. He has a company called New Light Technologies. They make plastics out of atmosphere carbon dioxide, out of air. Wow. Yeah. And you <laughs> okay. think, how could that be possible? How could you right. possibly make something like that? But and you think about it, and trees do that every day. They're making this incredibly solid substance, wood, and it's, it's more than 50% carbon dioxide from the air. It's just compressed air, basically. Um, and so all sorts of things are possible. And you know, when we, when we look at the natural world, it's, it's an empirical example of sustainability. It's the only one we have. And it's a great example for us. So we don't have to figure out all this stuff on our own. We actually can get ideas from nature and and start to make our world, you know, one in which it works with the rest of the planet.
0: Very cool. And there's so much more in that chapter. I just, I just love this. Uh, this is good stuff. We, you know, and it's, it is fascinating thinking about what you just described, because, you know, wouldn't you know, we can create things that last 10,000 years, except uh, <laughs> <laughs> but just to annoy us. <laughs> um, exactly
1: what a cool almost too smart for for our own good we have to use our cleverness to figure out how to how to fit in instead of stand out quite so much yeah exactly
0: exactly i like that you know I, my favorite chapter is chapter 8 students invent you you start off with this comment humans are natural engineers we wonder how things work and tinker from an early age what a great way to start could could you uh, talk about this uh, students invent
1: yeah i mean this is you know ultimately where all the curricula that we design leads to. We, we don't want to just, you know, have kids learn about bioinspired innovation. We want to learn, we want them to learn how to do it um, and to see the world the way that bioinspired engineers and designers see the world. So, um, you know, whatever kind of sequence of lessons that you use, our curricula always culminates in the kids having the opportunity to kind of bring their Everything they learn together and design their own um, innovation that's inspired by nature. And um, so kids have done amazing stuff with this. I, my favorite, all time favorite invention, I think, that a kid came up with um, is this kid, Sean. He was a fifth grader and he noticed how his cat would puff up its fur on cold days. And then he learned that, you know, a cat does that because that traps more of the cat's body heat next to the cat. So by puffing up its fur, it kind of insulates itself with with that air. And so he thought, you know, that would be really neat if you had that in a jacket. Um, Imagine like on a cold day, you just add air to this jacket. And on a warmer day, you kind of deflate it. And so he actually like came up with this design for this cat inspired jacket that does that. Cool. And, it, you know, on a cold day, you fill it with air and it keeps you warmer. And on a warmer day, you deflate it. And, and it's just an awesome example of what kids can do once you get them kind of borrowing ideas from the natural world. Yeah, it's really it's really fun to see what the kids come up with.
0: So cool. And it, it is. I mean, that's, you know, what's, what's neat is that, unfortunately, by the time they get to uh, middle school and especially high school, a lot of kids kind of the the, uh, that natural uh, desire to know how things work and stuff like this kind of has been (laughs) shuffled to the back, you know, it's like, and, uh, and now it's, it's a little world of uh, just tell me what I need to do. All right. And and I'm glad you,
1: I'm glad you said that because, you know, I've seen that, right. I've, we've all seen that where kids are kind of too cool and we just want to kind of, they're not, they're not engaged anymore, but I tell you, this approach just kind of reawakens that curiosity uh, that older kids sometimes lose. Uh, we did this, we, we had this high school um, use our curriculum, Engineering Inspired by Nature, uh, these were uh, high school kids, and, and then basically just ask them after the, the curriculum, you know, are, are you more interested in engineering, less interested, or unchanged? Very simple kind of question. And something like, you know, between 70 and 80% of the kids said that they were more interested in engineering. And when you compare that to the national average that, um, you know, high school kids in the United States say that they're interested in engineering, it's, it's a vast improvement. So something like 14% of uh, graduating high school seniors in the United States will say they're interested in engineering. And after this curriculum, you know, five times that amount, were saying they're interested in engineering. And then if you just look at at girls, they tend to say about 2% of girls say that they're interested in engineering by the time they're graduating from high school in the United States, really low. And after this course, it was, you know, between 70 and 80%. So that's like 38 times. Um, And and this was just a teacher-led study and, you know, just kind of shows you what kind of interest you actually can, can, you know, get, get going in these kids when you approach the subject for as fascinating, fascinating as it actually is.
0: Oh, that's awesome. I love it. Yeah, you because know, to, to, to be able to inspire them to say, you know, I, I mean, I need to rethink this engineering
1: thing. Cause this my, my curiosity is spiked now we got. Uh... Yeah. yeah. And, and the point for me isn't actually to create more engineers, you know, it, if that's the way they, you know, that's the direction they go. Great. But, um, and I think for me, I'm not an engineer; I'm a biologist. But this this has enriched my life on a daily basis because I, you know, I'm surrounded by nature. We all are to some degree, and uh, it just makes me see the world differently and also see technology differently. So whatever they do in their lives, I feel like yeah, this this kind of approach can kind of enrich their life for the rest of their life, no matter what they do.
0: Very cool. By the way, I had to had to go back to what you just said, because that's one of the things that I thought was so unique about this book. You're a biologist. Yeah. And I, I mean, because I was, I was looking for Okay. Yeah. But somewhere in here, you became an engineer, right? And nope. <laughs> and I think that's, that's so cool. And it's, uh,
1: well, well, it surprises me. I mean, I, I, I mean, that's this kind I guess that goes to show how these, these fields that we think of as so distinct actually have a lot in common And then where they, you know, start to intersect, like with bio-inspired innovation, you know, that's where you really do need biologists and you do need engineers and you need everybody involved in that. So yeah, I actually now teach uh, at uh, engineering college at Texas Tech University. I teach, you know, all the incoming freshmen, uh, engineering freshmen, and here I am not an engineer. So I tell them that right away. I'm like, just so you know, (laughs) Uh, you know, we have a good time anyway.
0: That's cool. That's uh, sorry. I and and just a note I I mean, I gotta it seems like I just need to input this here someplace. I I have two sons who are one's an aerospace and one's an engineer and one's a, a, an industrial engineer. And so it's this is cool because I was showing them your book. <laughs> so this is uh and I I could just see you going into the into the class going now. Before we go any, we got to get something straight. I'm a biology. Individual, this is not. A, well, I'm not
1: supposed to be here talking to you, but some reason they let me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like that. Very nice, cool. Uh,
0: you know, um, uh, Sam, do you want to at this point? Do you want to share a little bit about the Center for Learning with Nature?
1: Yeah, um, you know, Center for Learning with Nature. It's a small nonprofit. Um, our whole objective is to bring this whole world of bioinspired engineering and innovation into k-12 um you know there's just it's a new thing it, pre- engineers and designers have been doing it for a long time but it's a new thing for k-12 um e- even in um you know colleges and universities it's somewhat new it's it's expanded enormously i mean now like harvard has a whole institute devoted to it and caltech has a center for bioinspired engineering and so on so it's it's definitely um established at the college and university level but Um, at the k-12 level not so much and we just thought you know this is so interesting and it offers so much um we need to you know have a vehicle to to do this so we started the center for learning with nature um we started developing curricula and training teachers with professional development um you know the curriculum i'm happy to say it's it's won awards it's used now in in hundreds of schools, I think across something like 28 countries. Nice. And, um, you know, we, we give all the curricula away for free. Um, it's all on our website for free. We actually do trainings in the summer, every summer for free for any teacher who wants to, you know, get trained in this stuff. So, um, and I feel like it, we've made a big impact on a tiny budget and it just, uh, it's been a great experience. Um, because, you know, teachers to me are the most powerful people on the planet. Like they are literally shaping where humanity goes through their work. So to get to work with teachers is is a terrific honor and this is a great subject to work with them with.
0: So cool, yeah, that's an awesome subject to work um, together on. That's I love it, so uh, thank you. I, and Sam, as we're getting closer to finishing, if someone wanted to connect further with you or learn more, where would you send them?
1: Yeah, well, um, they could go to learningwithnature.org. Uh, that's the center for uh, Learning with Nature. And um, there's other another great nonprofit is called Biomimicry Institute, and that's biomimicry.org. A um, lot of great material there. And you know, if teachers want to contact us and ask any questions, there's a link there where they can, um, you know, email us and. Um, you know, we tend to get back to people pretty quickly. We we love to have interest in this subject.
0: Excellent. Well, I'll make sure that's in the show notes. And uh, you know, this is, uh, um, look, it, it's just, uh, you, you guys got to reach out to them and ask some questions. Good stuff. You just heard our conversation here. So uh, keep it going. You know, the last two questions I got for you are things I like to ask my guests. And the first one goes like this, Sam. When, when things get difficult or there are too many issues all coming at once, and you want to quit. How do you overcome those feelings and keep going?
1: Yeah, we all have those times. I, <laughs> this is just a, you know, sometimes you run into something that just holds your interest. And and this is one of those things for me. So, um, you know, it, it kind of improves how I see the world. It enriches it, you know, the more I learn. And that's a great thing. So, um, you know, I think we all need to be you know, engaged intellectually with what we do, we have to be interested in what we do. And always talk about student engagement, but we don't talk about teacher engagement very much. And to me, you know, you can't be a good teacher unless you are actually interested in what you're teaching about. Um, So I don't know, I, 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 I just, uh, you know, kind of this stuff keeps me going. I, I don't really, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not a well that runs dry. There's always more to learn and it's always just fascinating to see what humans are doing with this kind of knowledge. So yeah, I just keep on going that way, I guess.
0: That's cool. I mean, having have that passion for what you do is what's, you know, that's, that's good stuff. So, uh, last question. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say, thank you? Wow.
1: Well, uh, there's, there's a few, I mean, um, Steve Siebert comes to mind. He's a he was my um, my master's thesis professor at the University of Montana, and just a great guy. He gave me lots of space and support, um, and it's just exactly what I needed, you know. Uh, and then, um, gosh, Janine Benyus for sure. Uh, I, she changed how I look at at the world. Um, she was like just a like a lightning strike in, into my soul. Just fabulous, and um, so I would definitely thank her. Uh, Tiffany Roberts was the first teacher uh, I worked with, um, with our new curriculum, Engineering Inspired by Nature. And she's a a public high school teacher in California. So I, you know, I would definitely thank her um, for just keeping me going and realizing that this thing actually was, you know, a great thing and had legs.
0: Very cool. Thank you so much, hey, Sam. Thank you so much for talking with me today. Engineering education for the next generation: a nature-inspired approach is an amazing book. Uh, can I, you know, basically, can I start over and study engineering following your approach? I mean, that's that's right. I only you know, like, I got a bunch of years left. We can. <laughs> yeah. Uh, your book's awesome. I, I love the way it's written, uh, and I want to read no more with every page. Kudos, you know. Wishing you the best in all you do.
1: Thank you so much, Steve. This has been a lot of fun.
0: Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts teaching learning leading k-12 is intended to share ideas advice and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators teaching learning leading k-12 is produced for educational purposes
1: thanks for listening and i hope you'll share it with your friends